and we got to <coughs> what we talked about last week, a strong soldier, and to do that, our diet and exercise, of course, a soldier has to do that, and we have to diet on the Word of God and preaching of the Word and exercising our faith, and so this week we're going to start with a single-minded soldier. Now, being single-minded means persistence, determination, and perseverance. And Ephesians 6 and 18, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching whereinto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So I think that we, well, I can say or think, we all probably fail some in prayer. Some of us do a much better job than others. But we should pray for each other. I mean, that's a, uh, that is a biblical principle. That is what God said to do. And that's what we try to do. Uh, but we should be in prayer. We should persevere in prayer. We should persevere in reading, persevere in witnessing. And uh, so anytime that you are steadfast on something, you're going to run into obstacles. Keep going. Second Timothy, I think this is in your uh, outline there. Second Timothy two three through five. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So what does it take uh, to become a single-minded soldier? What are the characteristics of a single-minded soldier? Well, the one is uh, just what the uh, verse said, to endure hardness. Now, hardships, we know, are a part of a, a, a soldier's description, and hardships are a part of a, a Christian's description we're going to have hardships second timothy two and three thou therefore complain about hardness that's not what it says is it it says therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of jesus christ so if the bible is telling us to endure it it's also telling us that we're going to have it songwriter expressed it well when he said shall i be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fight to win the prize and sail through bloody seas so we can't expect somebody else to carry all the load we're going to have to do our share in carrying a load for getting the gospel to others uh, we're in a battle paul says to press toward the mark now we have to understand what that mark is we have to know what we're doing but then we have to press toward that mark. In the Marines, and if anybody here, if, is anybody here that was in the Marines? I know Charles was, but he's not here today. So I'm, there's some numbers and statistics in this. If they're wrong, this is what I read, okay? They're probably right, but if Charles was here, he might have to correct me on something. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, at the end of their basic training, they go through what they call the, the crucible. And uh, they experience sleep deprivation, food rationing, and a series of intense mental and physical tests 
that will put an exclamation point on their time in recruit training. Uh, one mother wrote about what her son had to go through. She said, 54 grueling hours, 40-mile hike, stopping at different stations, learning survival and teamwork, four hours sleep total, three meals total. So what they, they want him to be able to endure that on the battlefield, and how do you know if you're going to be able to endure it on the battlefield if you never do it, if you never practice it, if you're never ready, if you never prepare for it. So you have to uh, prepare for it and have to, you, you have to know that it's coming. A soldier is expected to endure hardness, just as Christian soldiers are also. We must demonstrate our single-mindedness. Now, enduring hardness should not make us mean and ungrateful. It should prepare us for the task to come later in life. So when we're going through something, I know we're human, so we wonder why. We may never know why, but we can have confidence in the one that does know why, and that it is, as the Bible says, for our good. We may never understand how it's for our good, but that's what the Bible says, and he'll work it out that way. 2 Timothy 3 and 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So the Bible doesn't say that you might possibly, very plainly, if you live for Christ, you will suffer persecution for it. Matthew 5, 10 through 12, and all these verses are in your outline there. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we're being persecuted for doing something for Christ, we don't feel very blessed, do we? That's not the feeling that comes up in your soul at that time. But after it's over or, or later on, we can see, we can realize that God is saying that we're blessed to be able to do that because we're able to do something for him. Verse 11, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now, you know, if you say something bad about somebody and then they say something bad about you, God don't say you're blessed. God says if you're talking for him and working for him and living for him and they say something bad about you, that's a blessing. Then verse 12, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So, of course, now this is Jesus speaking here, and he's talking about the prophets in the Old Testament directly talking about that. But we can look at uh, the apostles and uh, the preachers down through the years and the martyrs that we studied about, and we can see what they went through. And we can... Bible says that we're blessed because we know that they went through it too. Now all three of those verses we just read had the word persecution in it, or at least a form of that word. Now it sounds like a lot of persecution, but there's a limit to the persecution. We studied, learned to study the martyrs that about the worst thing that can happen to you 
is to be scalped and burned at the stake. That's bad, ain't it? But after that, everything's okay. So, see, as bad, however bad it gets, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. First Peter 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. Did I just say burn at the stake? The Bible says don't think that's strange. Which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. And again, we go through the, this, the slightest amount of persecution. And, and it's like it just throws us out of what we were doing. We get out of whack and people get out of church. But that's not, the Bible tells us it's going to happen. Verse 13 says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. That is when Christ's glory is revealed, when we are in heaven and Christ is glorified, you are going, let me get what word to use. Ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, if you suffered for Christ, you're going to be glad then that you did not push away that persecution, that you did not uh, run from the persecution, that you did not run from uh, your obligations as a Christian, but you'll be exceedingly glad. Exceedingly glad. In Romans 8, 17 and 18, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't say you're going to inherit a little something when you get to heaven. You know, maybe you've got some, somebody in your family that's got maybe just the least amount of something, and, and they tell you, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... When I pass away, I've, I've left you a, a little something. You don't know what it might be, you know. But I ain't what God said. He said, joint heirs with Christ. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And in verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, this is coming from a man, Paul wrote this, a man that suffered persecution. He said, that's nothing. He said, it's, it's not really even, when you've got the glory in heaven and you've got the persecution now, you don't even talk about two in the same sentence because this is, this is absolutely nothing over here compared to the glory that is in heaven. In other words, and I know you've heard people that say hear people say something like this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask. No, you ain't. <laughs> no, you ain't going to ask nothing. Because if you need to know it, you will know it. You'll already know it. This will be like Christ. We're going to know everything we want to know then. And what we thought we were going to want to know won't even enter our minds. So God promises us hardships and afflictions as well as joy and peace. 
He promises us joy and peace. But he says along the way there's going to be hardships and afflictions. So how would would we really know the joy and peace if we didn't have any idea what a hardship was? You couldn't enjoy peace if you didn't know a hardship. You just, you couldn't. For people, we were talking with a friend of our uh, grandson had a a birthday party yesterday and a friend of ours was there. It's actually their son is his cousin. So they were there and talking about he had been to the Biltmore house. And he was talking about all that they had. And it just absolutely mind-blowing what they had. But you take a person that was raised in that, they really don't know what peace is because they've never had anything hard to go through. Somebody's had it real hard, if they can just get to a bed and rest, that's, that's great peace. But somebody that was born on a bed of roses and always lived on one, they don't know anything about it. So to know the peace of God, we're going to have to understand some of the sufferings that Christ went through for us. How can we understand what Christ went through for us if we never experienced any persecution or affliction? John 16, 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So whatever whatever persecution you have, whatever problems you have, in Christ you have peace. We can remain single-minded by setting ourselves to endure hardness. It's not, okay, we get saved and... So we can't say, okay, well, in two years, I guess the ability to endure hardness is coming. No, you have to set yourself for it. You have to expect, you have to train yourself for it. You have to study God's word. You're not going to be, you're not going to be ready for hardness if you don't prepare. We have God's own promise that the final victory will be ours as we are faithful to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we know that. And I know there's times that we hit persecution and we hit afflictions and it stalls us out, but then we've got to keep going. We're human, so yes, we're going to be stalled out. Just like you know, if you drive a Dodge and you go on appeals, you're probably going to get. No, that's not right. Y'all can tell, please tell Johnny I said that. But uh, when you hit the affliction, yeah, you're going to stall out, you're going to slow down, but you got to get back in it. You got to keep going. And then next, to be a, <clears throat> the next thing we have to do is the soldier remains free of. Entanglement. A single-minded soldier refuses to be distracted by anything that competes with his duty. When you're on a foreign field, especially, and there's battle going on, there may be battles back home, but that soldier has to put them 
basically out of his mind to be able really to keep himself alive and to keep his comrades alive. He owes everything he can do. He owes 100% of his thoughts at that time to the battle for himself and for his comrades. 2 Timothy 2.14, No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We read that a while ago, then Luke 14.26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Of course, you have, we would have to read a lot of verses to understand that it's just like talking about a soldier. The soldier is in battle and he's not thinking about things back home. That doesn't mean he doesn't love his wife still, but he cannot, he cannot let his mind go to that. He has to keep his mind on what he's doing there. And when we uh, are working for the Lord, we cannot let uh, probably one of the biggest problems for a lot of Christians is relatives. Lost relatives can be a problem, but what's worse problem than that is saved relatives that claim to be saved. Where they are or not, you don't know, but they don't live it. That's the one that causes you the most trouble. I know that we were on visitation one day, and I tell you this: if you don't know this information, in Clemens, they don't have they have a no solicitation law, but that does not mean you cannot go knock on the door. They have a nuisance law which says you cannot go up somebody's sidewalk and knock on their door unless they know you're coming. So if they can actually find you in Clemens, in Clemens city limits or whatever you call it, they don't call it a city, uh, they can find you for that. But we found that out the way we just found that out. Brother Eddie, I think you was the one who knocked on the door. You may not remember this, I don't know, but I do. You remember when we was in Clemens and the guy come up and said, you can't be here and we had to leave and all that stuff. If you remember, one of the first places we, doors we knocked on, I think it was you, it might have been somebody else, knocked on the door and they said, I'm a Baptist, I already go to church. Remember that? And about 30 minutes later, here comes somebody telling us we got to leave. Now, it may not have been that guy, but I, I feel like it probably was. A person that said they were a Christian got mad at us because we was trying to tell people about Christ. And people in your family will do the same thing if they're not really saved. They'll give you a hard time. So we have to put their feelings aside sometimes. We have to love Christ enough. We have to love him the most that we do what we're supposed to do for him and not let what others think we're supposed to do for them interfere. God will allow you to take care of your family and do what you're supposed to do and do what you're supposed to do for him. But we have to do it God's way. We can't say, well, I'm supposed to do this because this is what they say. No. God will tell you how to take care of your family and allow you to do that. But we have to do what he says. The world in which we live provides many opportunities for distractions and entanglement. Ten years ago, and probably 20 years ago, I preached that children have so much more now to distract them than they had when I was growing up. I don't, that's, that's, don't even compare now. Now, 
what they had to distract them is so great, so much more. I would say from the time I was growing up to 20 years later, it doubled or tripled. From then to now, it's 20 times that because of computers. Brother Bushy that was here Wednesday night with Rock of Ages, I apologize, I didn't introduce him that he was here. Uh, but he's going out to Los Angeles, and this was sort of a mind-staggering number to me. Now, he's going out to Los Angeles, Rock of Ages prison ministry. He's going to juvenile detention center. Not the prison, just the juvenile detention center. 22,000 juveniles. 22,000. Absolutely amazing. I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there too, but all that's just Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. If you're trying to serve, uh, if we're trying to serve the Lord in ourselves, or the Lord in finances, or the Lord in hobbies, then we have two masters. God has to come first. James 1.8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. How can, how can God put any confidence in us when we might be there, we might not? And then lastly, obeys his commanding officer. A submitted soldier is an effective soldier. Most Christians don't want to be submissive to anyone. They want to, I don't want to come to church, and maybe they read their Bible, then they make up, but really make up their own mind what they want to do, and that's what they do. To be a submissive Christian, biblical doctrine is the Word of God. I'm sorry, to a submissive Christian, biblical doctrine is the Word of God. To a non-submissive Christian, any doctrine is legalism. So you can, you can quickly explain away anything that you don't want to do that comes out of the Word of God when a preacher preaches it. That's legalism. I ain't doing that. But if it's out of the Word of God, it's not legalism, is it? Now, I can get up here and, and spout off a lot of legalism, but it's not in the Word of God. But if I spout off what's in the Word of God, it's not legalism. Matthew 8, and 8 through 9, or 8 and 9. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. And, I, and I'm pretty sure, I wish I'd wrote down the next verse, I think it's the next verse where it says Jesus marveled. Two times Jesus marveled in the Bible. Once for the lack of faith of the religious people and then in this case 
the great faith of the non-religious person. But that's the way we're supposed to do with God. If, if it's the word of God, then that's just what we do. Just as Roman soldiers under this centurion were required to obey, a Christian soldier likewise must obey God. The Bible is the manual for the Christian soldier, and spiritual warfare must be conducted according to the guidelines found in the Word of God. Now, when battle is going on and there's been strategies planned and outlines put out, you have to follow that strategy that's been put down. And those strategies have to follow certain guidelines, like for in, if it's the U.S. Army, then they have certain guidelines. You don't go outside of these guys. You do this, and then for particular battle, uh, there's a strategy plan, but you know it follows these guidelines. There are certain things that that we do as Christians from day to day may differ. We may face different circumstances, but there's the guidelines in the Word of God we still have to follow. Under battle conditions, there may, be, may occasionally be some confusion as who is in charge, but military progress cannot be made until this confusion is resolved. And that's what happens when there's confusion in a church, confusion with the children of God, Nothing, get, nothing happens, it's stalled. We must be fully aware of just who our commanding officer is. As long as we're trying to fight our, our way, we will not be successful for the cause of Christ. You say, well, I think we ought to do it like this, and it says, I think I ought, ought to do it like that, but most of them aren't doing anything. Because I, I don't think that's the way you're supposed to do it, so I don't do it. I know most of you have heard this before, and uh, I know one particular case that's actually happened where somebody said, well, I don't think you ought to witness that way. Well, how do you witness? Well, I don't. Well, I like the way I witness better than I like the way you don't witness. So if we're following God's guidelines, if we're following the word of God and we're doing for him, it's better than somebody not doing anything. You may not be, you may not be uh, doing the best of anybody, but you are doing something for the Lord. So we'll pick up there in part three, a secure soldier, uh, next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, help us, Lord, to be a soldier for Christ. Uh, Lord, we uh, hear the children sing, I will march in the infantry. And Lord, let us do that. Let us be little soldiers. Let us do it as the faith of these little children when they sing that song. They have complete faith. That's That's... They're not just repeating words. They're saying that this is what Christians do. Lord, help us to have that same faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.